Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein and a special guest. Mm -hmm. Today, we are continuing our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Well, that sounds that sounds right. You don't need me. Absolutely, we need you. That sounded pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, well today we're going to do something a little different. Maybe I won't talk as much and our guests have more of a chance to talk, right? <laughs> I've listened to some of our other ones, other broadcasts, and one of our young listeners said, hey, you don't give your guests that much time to talk. Yeah. And I listened to it and I went, whoa, they're right. So today, I'm going to stay out of the way more. We do have a very special guest, a wonderful woman, does uh, beautiful work, and is a, I, I shouldn't let me, she's an angel. She does great things. She's a sweetheart, and she does great work with a, a heart that's just as beautiful as it comes. But, um, and she's very humble and self-effacing, so, um, and she, she coughs a lot. Yeah, just a warning. Yeah, just a warning on the coughing. Yep. She's, got, she's she, okay. She's got allergies and... Yep. She works a lot. Um, yeah. But anyway, she's special. And she we're is. we're very, very grateful, and we're pleased to have her on the show today. Very much. This is a treat. And this this is, is a treat. real treat. Yeah. And, and so let me introduce Teresa Lyons. Uh, Teresa is a registered nurse at the Hospice of Petaluma, and she's been there, she says, about 30 years serving in a variety of roles as a nurse. Um, on her downtime, she loves hiking, and she went on an amazing trip this summer. I, she told me a little bit about it, to the Trinity Alps. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, the wilderness is my temple. And she is also the proud mom of a 27-year-old son who is the joy of her life. Mm -hmm. And originally, she was going to be a baseball player when she grew up. <laughs> so welcome, That's That's Teresa. Yeah, I could see that. I'm glad you... Uh, no, you should have done it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so glad that... This is a woman that has followed her calling. And it's the, the core of our show is um, people who have a very special calling in dealing with a very difficult part of a condition of life and helping others who are in, uh, going through this part of life. It will, as we've said before, it's a condition that everybody will impact, be impacted by at some point in their life. Um, it's not the one that's the one that's most emphasized in our culture, but as I said before, other cultures it's built right in, and even the kids know how to deal with sickness, death, and dying. Here, it's different, um, but it'll change because the demand is getting more and more. But there are certain folks like ourselves that have heeded the calling upon their lives to really. In, do the work that's necessary to help people through a very difficult transition in their lives. And it's it's a tough one. But I've never met more amazing people in, in this work, um, in this part of life. They're special. No matter what their clinical expertise and capabilities are, it's something about their hearts and how compassionate and empathic they are. 
Um, they are empathic people, and we've talked about this. They're special because they're givers. Um, we've also talked about how in this type of work, you're giving of yourself almost 100% because the folks we're dealing with are not capable um, or our expectations for them have to be so minimal because they don't have the energy um, to give anymore. So we take care of them. But as empaths, we also can absorb the energy and the emotional burdens of helping someone who's facing pain and dying and sickness and eventual death. Um, also, very, they're painful. They're painful emotionally. They can be painful physically. But there are folks that are special. And Teresa is one of them for sure. She has colleagues. Uh, I can assure you they are also incredible. Mm -hmm. We had one visit our uh, institute last Thursday night, a nurse, Michael, amazing guy, and he wound up playing the flute for us, and we were all enthralled. Mm -hmm. And he, he was very sweet. I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> Everyone we've met from Hospice of Petaluma has been outstanding, outstanding. and yeah. a great support yeah. to us. We've been so, grateful. Um, that's why Teresa's here today, and we'll, we'll try to get more people from her hospice center. It's, by the way, it's a beautiful center. You haven't been over there. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. Set up beautifully. But anyway, here she is, and she wants us to... I actually, her. I actually do have a question. We don't, I'm going to put her on the spot right away. We're, this isn't a cross-examination. No, it's not. It's not. Okay. It's just that something finally kind of, I mean, after I made the introduction, something kind of connected in my head, which was, the, did you, it sounds like that right out of nursing school, you went directly to work for hospice. Or um, almost. So um, I actually... It was my desire to work for a hospice that led me to nursing school. I was a high school dropout. I was a very rowdy kid. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of deaths in my own family, starting with my sister, who was six years old when I was eight, and then my father, who was 54 when I was in my young 20s. And it was when he was dying that I felt... Um, I was embarrassed, like here my, my dad, who was a medical doctor doing research, um, his his surviving daughter was a high school dropout. I thought that's awful. But really what I came to is like, it's, that's not how he feels, that's how I feel. And watching how, he died in the hospital in Michigan um, of lung cancer. And how the staff couldn't say the word died, dying they couldn't talk about it they it, it it just so surprised me because um death is a part of life i mm -hmm. see it as a circle where birth is in the beginning mm -hmm. and death is at the end that i'm like i need to i need to work in this area um i thought i was going to be a social worker but i got talked into being a nurse by a hospice nurse who was a dear friend of my best friend's dad mm -hmm. <clears throat> And so I first had to go and get my high school diploma and then do the prerequisites and then get my nursing. But I knew the whole time that I wanted to be a hospice nurse. So I didn't actually start. I, I worked in the hospital on the oncology unit, the cancer unit, mm -hmm. um, because I wanted because in hospice frequently in your people's homes and you're it and I didn't want to be a brand new nurse all by myself at least mm -hmm. in the hospital you can holler for help so I worked mm -hmm. in the hospital um, first and then did both for a while 
just too much. And then when I felt strong enough to just be a hospice nurse. Well, for a woman who wasn't sure how she was going to share, she's right on the. She's right on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And this is the kind of thing that we've we've seen with every person that's come on as a guest. Um, we want this show to be uh, as transparent as possible in the understanding what it takes to become a, 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 a person that's called to be part of this kind of life, a difficult condition of life. I haven't seen one person that's come through that hasn't had trauma in their background, who hasn't developed their empathy and their compassion and their calling through easy times. It's been just the opposite. Yeah. Um, we know that's true. Um, and we've had some amazing stories. Um, I, I've lived an amazing story. Jenny was an engineer, um, and I was other things. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, it's that kind of thing that we pay attention to because there's it's a double-sided, it's a two-sided coin here. In one sense, we develop the empathy and the compassion um, and then proceed to get the training we need. But the heart of these folks, if they stay with it and not just get consumed with the training, um, has pain to it, has a history to it um, that's different from other people. And instead of running away, they seem to be drawn through the pain and the struggle and uh, hardships to help others, to come alongside others in pain. Um, I think it's a, a, such a special calling, so blessed. Um, and I do see, not religious necessarily, but a spiritual side to this thing, mm -hmm. because that's the last thing you'd expect. And here's a high school dropout. Well, that's nice. She'd hate to hear what my background is like. Um, and um, that's the beauty of this, because so many, when we spoke, just as an aside, I think we mentioned we spoke to a, young group of, uh, at a conference for young students, yes. Students who are going to become considering entering the men mental, medical profession. Medical profession and the and most of them, profession. Yeah. And most of them had a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. And yet, and as we talked to them, they also had, for young people, a lot of trauma already. Yes. And they had pain. And one of the things, and I know I was on a panel where there was an ER doctor, a nice guy, and there was another, a psychologist, uh, a nurse who was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and she spoke of how her, she had a similar kinds of experiences to Teresa and how she wanted to run away and she wasn't part of the caregiving world and yet it changed her life and it turned her life around to where she became um, very invested as Teresa is in the, in the helping profession as a nurse and now she's a teacher I think too. Um, but I one of the things that I did uh, want to say, and I mentioned that these kids, young people, and their parents were there too, is I really wanted to emphasize for them, to them, not to let their training get in the way of their heart and their desire to help others. I know that it takes a lot of shaping, and we do a lot of that and train people how to do that, but not to get so objectified and distant that they forget that they're human beings and that it's actually through their pain and their struggles and the things they've been through, that they're re that's where the real strength is, and not to lose touch with that. Um, I know on that panel there were psychologists and there were doctors, and and I've come to a point after 49 years of realizing that a lot of the clinical training and, and language gets in the way of our being human and heartfelt to others. And um, I know that through my own struggles, 
I've come to a place of realizing that even though I was so invested as a clinician for so long, and it was to help people, I actually found that I, it didn't make me closer in some ways to my humanity or theirs. It's only through my own difficulties and struggles now in my life that all of that seems not meaningless because it's part of my arsenal, but the human-to-human connection, the empathy, the caring, the love, the nourishment, that's what really matters. And when you see folks struggling with end-of-life issues, the most important thing is to be loving and nourishing and nurturing and caring and um, giving them a sense of hope, even though they're facing difficulties. So I think that that's kind of the template and the the arsenal. I think, I didn't know that Teresa was a she screwed up when she was younger. We'll have I to. I should have known I that. didn't say that. No, no I did. But it's okay. But you know what? It makes her so much. I knew it was something that had to be in there. Because this is a real human being. In Yiddish, they call it being a mensch. Yes. A person of character and strength and integrity. It's and clear. Decency. It's, it's clear that she is. She yes. is. I, yes. can att- I can attest, and so can Jenny. This is a mensch. This is an incredible lady. And uh, um, You've she's been got listening. a heart of gold. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and today we have a special guest, Teresa Lyons, who is a registered nurse and serves with the Hospice of Petaluma. And in our first segment, she shared what drew her to this work, and I am not going to repeat it because if you missed the first segment, go back and hear it in her own words. Mm -hmm. What I do want to add that we talked about following that uh, was how important it is for the kind of work that we do to be human and to make human-to-human, heart-to-heart connections. We serve as a nurse. We serve as a coach, mentor, therapist, doctor, whatever might be clinical. But the most important thing is not the clinical approach, the clinical language, the clinical sometimes kind of a, a boundary uh, what matters or barrier that's a better word mm-hmm. what matters most is the connection that we make the caring empathic connection we make with the people we have been called to serve and help right I, I have a couple of questions but um, one of the things that I have seen and I have a lot of friends that are doctors um, and I've seen what they went through with their training and for some reason I think the the heart-to-heart connection um, has been misunderstood, particularly uh, even the medical, the psychiatry. And they feel that you can't possibly allow yourself to feel what these people are going through because um, you couldn't handle all the work and it would be overwhelming. We have found that not to be true if you know how to shape it and, and, and hone that skill. And I've spent my lifetime um, training people and teaching people, and so is Jenny. Her lifetime's she's not as old as I am, but... Um, and we've worked on that, and yet you can feel, and you can be part of what people are going through. It's not going to destroy you. The thing you will feel is pain. I'd like to check, Teresa, when Peter says that, what does that bring up 
for you? How has that been part of your journey in what you do? Um, it, it's kind of hard to find the right words, but there's, I mean, there's a, we definitely feel what people are going through, but there is sort of a barrier so you don't take it on personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the, the picture that came to mind was a dear friend of mine who's a hospice doctor and he was visiting, um, I did a joint visit with him to one of our patients, this was years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there talking to the patient about what was going on with her and he had his glasses on and he was just being the doctor, kind doctor. And I was just listening to what he was saying to her and then he, and he was a friend of hers as well. But then he said, he took off his glasses because okay, that was the doctor, now this is your friend. And that was such a, a sort of a visual example of being very compassionate and open and honest and human and caring with this woman, but then very different as a friend. I mean, I left the room and gave him privacy, but there was, it, that would be a way where you, you probably wouldn't shield your heart with a friend, but you w- would as a, a caregiver. Well. Yes. Can I respond with that? Absolutely. Because maybe to familiarize Teresa a little bit with what, how our training and um, some of the things that we have learned. No, you're right about you can't take this stuff on and take it personally. Uh, that's right, because that's going to cause a triggering. And we'll talk. We've talked about that in many episodes, um, and it does happen. But one of the things that that I'll make sure Teresa is alluding to. I want to make sure I'm responding to this. Um, about being a friend, feeling human. That doesn't mean you don't have the clinical skills and abilities. It's just how you convey them. And a heartfelt person can have a tremendous amount of skill too, but it's a delivery. It's the connection of human to human. Um, Unfortunately, and I do know a lot of people in the medical professions that do it. They're wonderful. But I think they're unusual, to be honest with you. Um, I've seen too many the other way. And I've certainly had my, I've been an advocate for a lot of patients over my, over my uh, professional career. And it takes an advocate at times to break those barriers down and get to, these people need to hear from a human being what they're facing and not to be treated as an object. And so I don't think that a lot of doctors are always aware that they're doing that. Some are, but, and it's just kind of teaching and training, um, but not to give up the empathy. I've seen Teresa with people and she's got great clinical skills and she's very well trained. She is a real human being with a great deal of compassion. And if she's afraid of pain, you'd never know it. And I don't mean just physical. I mean, she's there for the person. She comes alongside them, um, administering her clinical abilities, but you know, it's Teresa. And her colleagues are the same way. I've seen it. I love it. That's the way we are. Um, I've come up against my own profession for many years about this. At that conference where I spoke to those folks, there were psychologists on that, and it's, it wasn't anything personal, but they were talking the language of theory. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking to kids, people that needed to hear from human beings, um, human to human, what, this, what's, what it's like to help others, what it's like to be a professional. What does this, what does this um, choice cost? 
and what does it what kind of satisfaction and fulfillment can it offer too and not have it be a series of skills that you take out you know yes you need skills but it goes way beyond that okay and we ran into some of the kids they were kids and they were so convicted of making it to medical school and adhering to all the highest grade point averages and whatever and the sciences um, I remember they came up to me, some of them talked to me, I don't know if you were with me, and I told them, relax. You're, the first thing you have is that you're a caring human being. And if you get into this already and you're not even medical school, you're going you're gonna to be in trouble. You're going to lose touch with what brought you here in the first place. So not to be so pressured to, to compete and to be... Uh, accepted into you know medical school and meet all the criteria but don't forget what's behind it all and that was the most important thing and i think one of those kids i'll never forget brilliant kid but he was so worried about his his uh sciences and i mean checking all the boxes all of the boxes. what would be required to make and it through i remember through. just saying hey that's not that's not number one priority that's number two your heart and being here and caring about others is what counts. That's first. Don't ever forget it. In fact, the young woman, um, Narelle, mm-hmm. um, she's going to medical school. And she's from Peru, right? Yes. Brilliant. And this is a real young human being. I mean, just amazing. And she arranged the whole thing. We, we think the world of her. And she's one of those people that has the brilliance. But her heart and caring ways show first. And yet she's very good at what she does. So um, I really value that. We value Narelle. We look forward to it. And um, I, she was a waitress. And I mean, I'm going to have to teach her how to make change. She made mistakes a few times. I had to correct her. But anyway, she's going to be a good... I said, I hope you're not going to be a doctor like this. Mm-hmm. But she's a doll. And we love her. And we, we think the world of her family. So um, those are the kind of things we're, we're interested in. But one of the things that Teresa alluded to... Yeah, you said you had a question for her. Yeah. Um, and I think this is important. Since most caregivers that we know that have this heart and empathy and are empaths, they all, I haven't met one yet that hasn't had loss and trauma and tragedy and suffering at different points in their life. And yes. I mean early yeah. or along the way. That leaves scars and wounds. There's no question about it. It's part of what makes us who we are. But one of the things that happened as a caregiver when you're involved in helping others is it, it breaks us down. And eventually, just by the nature of the demands of the job and what we have to give, we have to give 100% of ourselves without much expectation of getting anything back. Um, it it kind of strips us mm-hmm. to our who we really are. And it brings us to our own humanity. That humanity has pain. That humanity may have scars and wounds, as we all know. So what's what's the that's that's a strength. It's also a potential liability, and we've done a lot of work and we've talked on other episodes about well, how do you deal with this? Because when you're being stripped, eventually there's emotional exhaustion, compassion fatigue is what we call it. We're not talking about burnout, and when we're in that state, we all do. Our emotions are strong. We're tired. We're feeling pain. We're feeling despair, and we all do fearfulness, um, anger, frustration that we can't do more, which I have trouble with that, that myself. But one of the things that we're, we are seeing is if that stuff gets triggered, I think this is what um, 
Teresa's alluding to, that's when you start taking things personally. And all of a sudden, your own stuff and reactions are shaped not by the needs of the person in front of you at the time, but by our own past and our own reactions, whether they were good or bad. And I, God only knows in my past, I got plenty of bad reactions. And I didn't know Teresa did too, but she does. Well, let, let's let's ask her. Let's oh, yeah. let's find out. Yes. Yeah. What what what's coming up for you with what's Peter saying? Um. So. I, I as I said to you earlier, it's like we don't hire mean people, but people who work for hospice have indeed had a personal experience that brought them to do that work. It's yeah. not just a job. Some people. I mean, we could be making a lot more money being nurses in other um, uh, uh, areas of nursing. Mm -hmm. But everybody there is there um, because they want to be there. <clears throat> and um, they've had some personal experience, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, that, um, that has brought them there. And people who think they want to do the work, but they really don't, they find that out pretty quickly because it's, there's it it's to do the work and not have that experience to not have the heart in your work to just want to check the boxes as you said Jenny or mm -hmm. go there and get good grades or make money or whatever that you won't survive no we, we found that in our work too they fall away because we have been a um, field placement for a lot of people and most of them on the front lines between us they don't make it very yeah. few of them when yeah. the stuff hits a fan yeah. Most of them don't. But, you know, okay, I'm, I'm listening to what Teresa is saying. I want to know how to extrapolate this. Okay, go ahead. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, why don't you take a moment and think and think, and we'll do our really quick break, go ahead. and then we can keep going. Good. Does that sound all right? Okay. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment of our um, our podcast today uh, with Teresa Lyons as our guest, uh, we began talking about the process, the challenges, uh, the risks, and the rewards. <clears throat> excuse me, of being a caregiver. Uh, to in extraordinary circumstances for people who are dying very ill uh, any of those any of those things that bring us to the core of what it means to be human and our mortality um, we talked about the process of um, being drawn to that kind of work through our own personal experience in some way or another and how the work can strip us of the pretensions the 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 things we thought we could do and we can't the things that we thought we were we were and aren't it is challenges us on the very core level of who we are and what we're committed to it exhausts us it can trigger us emotionally uh it can it can provide all these challenges okay so the, can i say yes go right okay ahead. two things triggering we'll talk about in a minute because that can happen and it does but i want to get back to something that she said yes um people that work for hospice work for less money 
than other nurses, and I know this to be true. And a lot of nurses, some of my good friends, they make good money in these hospitals, but I wouldn't put them in the category of where Teresa is. And I love these. These are some of my friends. Yes. So it's not like I don't love them, and they're great at what they do, but they're not hospice people. Um, although they've helped Lynn, and they've been sensational, so I don't want to take anything away from them, especially Big Steve. Mm-hmm. But I want to get back to something um, about some of the things that we embrace and are trained to think uh, about in our lives that it's kind of like a brainwashing enough that that we're out, you know, when we want to get ahead, what's going to give us security and protection in our life is making more money, um, of having our 401ks, all these things in place and our, and our investments in place and everything like that, higher salaries and all of that. And folks that we've seen have, who have really embraced that and I was one of them for a long time, um, will discover that they're not immune at all from this stage of life that is involved with such pain and adversity and struggle. But for some reason, we have the illusion that if you have all these things in place, it's going to protect us from facing the real adversities of life. I bet that Teresa has seen, because she is part of so many people's end of life that you have seen when people have put their security in things like possessions, money, uh, uh, fame, accomplishment, and then you see them at the end. And maybe you see them realize that something else might have been more important. I think that's sometimes true, but what um, seems to be true a lot is that when people are at the end of their life and realizing that that they speak to the true values in their life that aren't the money and the cars and the 401ks and all of that. I mean, people do want to, you know, not burden their families or financially take care of them, but it's the other things that have been so important to them. And people seem to get pretty clear about that when the end is near. That's right. You know, when I listen to Teresa, you know, I'm more intuitive. Um, Her compassion just is right at the surface. And she has seen so much pain and been through so much. And you can see that these subjects have a lot of substance for her, from her her experience. And you could just hear it. This is not someone who's coming off the top of her head. She's been through a lot, and Mm -hmm. she cares a lot. And that's that's what makes her so special. Um, That's why we adore her. Um, even with her background, I mean, she dropped out of high school. Kind of <laughs> and you're a high college dropout. You yeah. got kicked out. I got kicked. No, that was college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's get real here. Yeah, we want to get real. We don't want to talk about <laughs> Peter's background again because it was so bad. Yes. Yeah. People who know me still can't believe I'm where I am today. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I love that about Teresa, and I knew she had an earthly background, and it yes. wasn't just smooth sailing. Yeah. But I can see her compassion, and it's not just from that. It's from the work. It's what she's been through and how stripped we all become. Yeah. And we wind up, we do carry the pain. We do feel it. And she's been doing this for 30 years, yeah. so she has found a way. She must have found a way. You must have found a way to work through and deal with some of the buildup and the emotions that have come up in the work. Well, I think <clears throat> the thought that came to me is that um, working with people who are dying teaches you about life and about living because you see people um, 
you know, there's no guarantees in life. And we see people that are very young. I mean, we take care of babies and children and young people. Um, and the, it just teaches you about what's important in the world. Yes. So strips it to where you really what really matters in life. Absolutely, what really matters. Yeah. Well, you don't come there. You don't get there because life is easy, or you run away. The, no. the folks that are in hospice, us, the work we do, and many people we know, are not the ones that see the. And this is something that's come up a number of times. Um, I'm not the voice of empathy for certain type of people. Forgive me, but we've had friends of mine on, and they have the empathy for. And we're talking about the folks that see pain and difficulty and they disappear in the face of it and all of a sudden they're not there to help and, yeah um families that pull together and some that just disappear disappear and uh yeah and i have a friend mimi who's been on the show a couple of times she's a psychologist she's she doesn't like to be called a psychologist but she is and she has an empathy she was a caregiver she was supposed to die at 15 herself she's now 51 um, adorable, we love her, and very smart. She's written a couple of books, but she has more of an empathy, and I listen to it. She's mm-hmm. not everybody's like you, and they're not all. They don't have the inner strength, the inner tools, and I hear that. But it's hard for me at the being the kind of strong man that I am with my attitudes. When I see difficulties, I don't run. I go to it and take care of it, and I'm the you know if it's an emergency, I'm right there, um, and that's the way I am. I've seen other people, just the opposite. And all of a sudden, when you need them, they're gone. When the pain is too, the adversity is too difficult. Do I have a lot of empathy for that? Mimi, I know you're hearing this, and you got to teach me more because I didn't learn Got to come lot. back, Mimi. Yeah, yeah, you better come back, Mimi, because Peter didn't learn that much. <laughs> and I don't know if I wanted to learn that much about it. But I look at it differently. And I, that's why I have such loving respect for hospice folks. Um, don't, they not only don't run, they are immersed in the condition of life and the difficulty of life that they embrace the challenges. That's what transformative resilience is about. They're so resilient and lovely. Um, there's variations, but they really are, generally speaking. Um, I value that. Our whole, My whole emphasis in our training and our life is not to run. And as painful as it may be, don't run. Because out of it, you're going to find a strength that you didn't even know you had. You're going to find a resilience. You're going to find hope. You're going to learn new things that you didn't even think you were capable of learning and become so resilient. But if you run, you never find that. And then when this type of situation in life hits you, you don't have anything to fall back on. Um, so I look at the folks that go through the harder times as much as, as, as beat up as we become emotionally and every other way. The resilience and strength... I know who I'd call upon, the folks that have been through so much, and I could count on them. So I look at that, and I look at the people in hospice as right up there in the top pinnacle. Um, and I know there's variation. She knows way more people than we do. The ones we know, though, are exceptional f- people. Yeah. Um, but we're all, every one of them are what's wounded, okay? And we were going to talk, I think Teresa earlier alluded to, um, you, can't, you don't want to take things personally and what that meant to me is when you begin to take things personally you're not just being sensitive you're overreacting you're beginning to your own material that you might not even be aware of is getting triggered and stimulated and it's beginning to contaminate your relationship with the person in need in front of you that's not okay 
because then you're actually undermining helping them and you're not nurturing and nourishing you may be doing just the opposite even if you think you have good intentions you're going down the wrong road and we've talked about ways to be aware of when this is happening when you're kind of crossing over into a place where you're starting to uh, be carrying around too much emotion and and having it kind of like you said contaminate the situation and it's been a learning process and I would just how how have you experienced that? Do you have a sense when you're getting too close to something or something is starting to come through that you don't want? Yeah. <clears throat> so I have a practice. Um, I used to, when I first started this, really stop and visualize it. But I leave my stuff in a bag outside the door before I go see my patients and their families because it's not about me. It's really about them so I can be more present with them, not unfeeling, but so that, it's, you know, I think we get triggered because of our past and it's like, well, but if I leave my stuff outside, then I'm not going to bring it into the situation and I can be there for them because it's very intimate and we see all different kinds of situations. Yeah. But yes, Jenny, I do. Um, the, the work that we do can be extremely sad. Um, and we're all human, and some people just, I say, pull my heartstrings, pull our heartstrings mm-hmm. more than others. Mm-hmm. But y- you feel it, you know, it's like you want to cross. I had a patient recently um, who I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just going to move in with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I know that wasn't true, but there could be a place where you might, and I've seen colleagues where they just cross that boundary, but it's like just to be aware that, yeah, that I'm feeling that, that, you know, I just want to move in because the family wasn't there for this person. And so you you have a sense. And then... Um, That's empathy, it's, though. That's being empathetic. Well, I think it it crosses the boundary. Is it rescue? Is it a rescue? It's a rescue. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. One of the things you're describing, we call it pushing the pause button. And um, pushing the pause button is very important. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel. It just means you can't carry your stuff into the work and over and and contaminate it and actually not meet the needs of the person exactly which is what i sort of the visual that i leave my stuff outside the door so i don't contaminate and i just want you you pick it up afterwards on your way out absolutely it's always there i just don't take it into certain situations where okay (laughs) that's pushing the pause button and what we tell people is you if you've been triggered or your stuff has gotten stimulated because you're tired or this is really touch you're going to have to deal with that afterwards somehow yeah and if you don't what we find is people begin to build up a toxic residue emotionally and energetically and it begins to affect their work absolutely so (coughs) there are ways and then we have are we have a specialized work that we do working with the body and how it's absorbing uh, this emotion and this energy and and whatever's been stimulated within ourselves, how to get it decompressed, how to get rid of it. Exercise helps. I'm a great emphasis. I'm a competitive sports person. You do heavy-duty hiking. Jenny's a hiker, and we're teaching her to shoot a gun. Well, <laughs> let's bring that in. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, but competitive, not animals, just shooting at targets. But anyway, um, 
One of the things that we're finding, though, is being, pushing the pause button does not mean you're shutting off, and it doesn't mean you don't feel anything. Right. It just means you know your own stuff. Right. You know that you can't bring it in there. It doesn't fit. And if it does get triggered, you recognize that's my stuff. Right. That doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. But there is a time after that's been stimulated, you've got to deal with it. And yeah. what that's what gives us the resilience, and you obviously have it, to be able to come back refreshed and renewed after you deal with it. Yeah. Because if you don't, you just begin to get ready. The compassion fatigue then eventually leads to right. burnout and resentment, and you're done. Right. So, so we have a really supportive staff. So okay. if we get triggered, we can go right back and talk to somebody, and it's everybody's very supportive. So okay, we can work through it pretty quickly. Absolutely. Usually. That's very, very important. Boy, do we find that with our teams. It's essential. Yeah, at the yeah. Institute. We only work in teams. Mm-hmm. But you're right. And you do have wonderful staff. I know some of them, and they're great that way. That's one of the ways. And the other is, uh, there's plenty of ways, but also taking care of our bodies and realizing our body is registering emotional material and Absolutely. taking it on. And we'll begin to take on, we'll feel the pain in our body. I do it plenty. And they've got to deal with that. Or it turns into physical illness and vulnerabilities that are not okay. Not okay. And a, a lot of caregivers get terribly sick if they don't take care of it. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We've been talking about um, we've been talking about the times when we have to in the work that we're doing. And again, we're talking with Teresa Lyon, who's a, a registered nurse with Hospice of Petaluma. We're talking about how to do the extraordinary work of caregiving without becoming personally overloaded and contaminating the work that we do. How do we, as we've called it, push the pause button? Or for Teresa, it's leaving her things by the door and picking them up after she's after she's visited and cared for someone. And what do we do after we go out the door and pick it back up or unpush the pause button? How do we take care of ourselves? What can we do to stay resilient? Okay. You're asking Teresa? We're, yes, sure. Because I want to put a little bit of uh, the, one thing in Go there. ahead, go ahead. And that is, this is a woman who's got a lot of discipline. Absolutely. We've seen that, we know it. Absolutely. And so do we. But there is something that's, that this worked that we're human. And even though that formula works for her, a good part of the, I'm sure there have been times that she's been triggered. You know she has. She said so herself. She said recently there was a woman who she just wanted to move in. Yeah. And when that happens... We've got to have a way of dealing with that trigger, and you've got to recognize that it's happened, how it's affected us. And we need to recognize, this is me talking, what it may have brought up in us from our own past. She felt like moving in. Well, you know, you, th- you think about that, and you wonder, well, she's got a great deal of empathy. Where'd that come from? And she also talked earlier, you were talking earlier about people that you've loved in your, early, in your past, your family, died early. And... There's a loss, and that's a that's a scar and a wound. It's not like anything that's going to go away forever, and it shouldn't. But here, you can hear her empathy for seeing someone who doesn't have people there. 
right. that are in need. Well, Teresa walks in. You know you're talking about somebody special walking through that door. Mm-hmm. And her heart is going to, she's going to pick it up pretty fast and realize, whoa, there's things aren't right here. And she's got the heart and the empathy and the history to be able to, to tune in very quickly. The problem with that is that's the good part where she can be so responsive where others may not be able to be. But also her pain is going to come up too. So she's not immune because she pushes the pause button or can leave most of her stuff at the door. It happens. And in our work, it's almost a guarantee because it brings us to that place of our own humanity. So she's telling us that that's, that happens. Our job and our toolbox is to help caregivers because they are very deserving, really deserving of our love and support and our skills to teach them and train them. Um, on different ways to diffuse what's been triggered, how to recognize it, how to take care of it. And remember, their bodies are absorbing it. That's a reservoir of, of uh, taking on that emotion. The body and the emotions go together. Um, and how to read it. Now, that doesn't mean, um, when I say taking care of it, 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 it doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly every time. It just means you begin to know your own burdens that you carry, your own losses, your own pain, and what has affected you. And that's pain, it's part of who you are. But when you begin to absorb other people's pain, you have to recognize that's not mine. I'm beginning to take on the energy or the pain of the folks that I'm with. That happens so much. And you've got to know the difference because that's how you're going to be able to sort it out later. Um, it gives you an opportunity to sort out some more of your own old pain, how to um, be more effective uh, with folks that um, are in need, and gives you more compassion and a sensitivity to where they are. But you're going to feel. You're not going in there cold and hard. You're feeling. Mm-hmm. So for us to train folks, to teach them, we have a woman here. She's, she's got a lot of experience. Um, but so do we, and yet we need to be reminded, and we need support and help. And she just said, well, we have a very responsive team at hospice. Back at her That's st- a great yeah. help. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the tools. She also does hiking, and she does physical activities. And all of these things help to re- renew us and refresh us. And um, so we can come back being nurturing and nourishing yeah. And loving in very difficult circumstances. And I know that she comes back that way lots of times. Another thing that Teresa said, too, um, because she deals with people in end of life, mm-hmm. is she said that um, start to see what really is important, what really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, could you say a little bit more about that? Um, well, as you said in the beginning, Peter, we don't, in our culture, really um, <clears throat> talk about death. We're, what I say, a death-denying society. Death-denying society. Okay. Um, a lot of different cultures. And um, so there are plenty of people who are elderly, like in their 90s, and they get given a terminal diagnosis, and they're like, oh, my gosh, the rug's been pulled out from under me. Then we don't really think about dying. So the people mm-hmm. who... Um, we meet who are dying when they really get that they're at the end of their life it's it's the 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 moments that they spend with their family it doesn't matter if they can get out of bed anymore it doesn't matter 
what they look like. I mean, it, there's just things that are really important when people realize that they're near the end. It's about, um, it's mostly about love and forgiveness mm -hmm. and gratitude. Gratitude. That's one of the, to me, that is one of the most astounding things um, that comes out is the appreciating gratitude for the littlest things that are yeah. so important. Yeah. I don't think I had that before my wife got sick. And yet, uh, I've had it for a long time. Not like this, though. Yeah. And people talk to me about Lynn, and I go, hey, she's breathing. And I wake up in the morning, and she's there. Um, and I could just see her during the day, and if she's present at times, you're looking at a grateful person. Yeah. Really grateful. Yeah. Um, that I can go to bed at night and know that she's still breathing. And yeah. I never, I'm not really sure when I go upstairs what I'm going to find. And yeah. I do get anxious. I yeah. can't lie about it. Yeah. Um, but when I see that she's all right, she's sleeping okay, um, that means so much to me. Yeah. You know, little the littlest things now mean so much. Yeah. And I used to be, have to have the big things. Yeah. So I look at that and I've seen more people, like just what you're talking about, I have my mother who's 93 who's also facing, you'd never know it, she's so strong, but she's got dementia. Um, and I see it with her. She's got a great deal. She's sweet now. She didn't always. She wasn't always so sweet, but um, and she's kind, and she's appreciative, and loving. And I can when I talk to her, which is quite a bit, the love that comes across and the appreciation that we have in exchange, and her love and compassion for Lynn, is you can't deny it. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. way it is now. Mm -hmm. And I look at those things and I go, that's what life. That's what when you really understand what matters in life yeah and our value system begins to kind of right itself and all of a sudden what really matters is what you're living for and all the rest of it it still happens and i'm amazed at how it still happens um takes second place it doesn't matter what people in the world are throwing at you this puts it very clearly in your own mind what's important is what i am dealing with here with my wife or my mother or a patient that is dying or sick, that's what's important. The rest of it, yeah, but we'll get to it. And you can stand on your head, but you're not going to compete as far as what's important when I have this going. And it really straightens out the value system, the kind of interactions. I know relationships. Now, Teresa's probably been sweet for a long time. I haven't always been. But <laughs> um, one of the things, too, is that I, I've got to be around good people, loving, well, Teresa. Mm -hmm. Hospice. So many of our friends here in Petaluma, and I have many, um, are sweet, loving, compassionate s s people. That helps me a lot. The folks that aren't, now this is, yeah, what's her name? Mimi should be here. They can be my enemy really quick when they step over the line and they are heartless. But but Mimi agrees that you, if you have a limited amount of energy yeah. because of what the demands are, yeah. you need to be clear about where you can put your energy and where you must Absolutely. not. She is very much on board with you on that. And that, yeah, I know she is. I'm just kidding. I love Mimi. Yeah. She's smarter than I am sometimes. And she's smaller. So she doesn't, she's <laughs> See, not it doesn't matter guy. what size yeah, you are. No, she's a giant, honestly. <laughs> She's a giant of a person. She's a giant truth. spirit. Yeah, she's wonderful. But the truth of the matter is, this is where, this is the kind of life that puts things in the right perspective. But look yeah. what it comes through: pain, suffering, 
struggle, loss, yeah. and being engaged with the difficulties of life. Another attitude beyond, beyond gratitude and appreciation that we talk about often is hope. Yeah. How important it is to have hope. And, yeah. that's, and we can't always see it at the time. And um, I don't like the pie in the sky, you, you know, esoteric kind of hope. I like the down-to-earth hope. And sometimes I know when the emotions are running high for me or anyone we've helped, it's hard to, at that moment, to focus, well, I'm really hopeful because the emotions are running high. But once you clear them, you know that there is hope and there's going to be another day and things will get better eventually. And we're in the midst of people who are sick and dying and that's going to be the end. And yet there's a deeper sense of hopefulness and understanding of life that comes out of all of this. Now, I know people at hospice have it. Yeah. What yeah, is, so, <clears throat> yeah. I think so people who are dying, it's like it's life, it might not get better. No. So it's like it's a small hope. Like, I hope that you have peace mm -hmm. today. I hope that you have peace tomorrow. Or I hope that you have a great night's sleep. Yeah. Or I hope your pain gets controlled. So you never yeah. take someone's hope away. Yeah. But it's maybe very, the hope is very close by. It's true. It's not like it's going to get better because it might not get better. No, some yeah. of those things aren't going to get better. No. But there's a, a hope in things that we can't always see yet. And you've got to have that deeper down. I, that gives us a resilience, too. Yeah. But what you're saying is uh, the other thing that begins to happen is appreciating and being loving and supportive for the... The small things, and the, the, the moments. The, the moment, those immediate the moments. The precious moments. They are oh, crucial. Yeah, like mm -hmm. for, for us, when Lynn smiles, we can see that she's smiling or she says something to us, and for this moment, she is right there with us. You yeah. know, those moments are precious. Yeah. And, and it's the yeah. little things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're so all you the hope same for page. more of those we hope moments. For more of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're all on the same page, and that's what this show is about. Yeah. And we hope the message is conveyed to so many that are struggling and uh, that they know that there is a hope and there is loving, supportive help. Um, and an understanding that cannot come, and a resilience that can't come any other way, unless you face the struggles and the difficulties and this particular condition mm -hmm. of life, this is where things really begin to clear up. Yeah, not, yeah. not yeah. something that you, although you have to learn some things in a book to be a registered nurse, mm -hmm. what we do, what matters most, you don't learn in a book. You bring it in your heart from your own mm -hmm. history, from your own self, from your own humanity. That's right. Do we have any more? What's yes, we need to wrap it up today and say thank you thank so you. much thank you, Teresa. to Teresa for joining us today. And, and thank, you thank you to all your for colleagues. So personally and mm -hmm. from the heart and couldn't yeah, have you. thought anything else would have happened. Great guest. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you thank so you much. For yeah. And I thank hope you. that you will consider coming back. <laughs> yeah, we got to come back. We've got more to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast and the information it provides benefits you or someone you care about, please support us by giving to Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. Donations are tax-deductible, and they are easy. Just go to www.sctraumatreatment.com 
sctraumatreatment.org and click on donations. That's sctraumatreatment.org and the donations button's at the top of the page. You can also support us on social media. Please like the Survivor's Guide to Life on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. You can see I'm still reading this. I haven't learned it yet. Yes, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. I'm working my way down the page. Okay, if you'd like more information on our podcast, we invite you to visit thesurvivorsguidetolife.com or if you have a question for Dr. Bernstein, Peter, or myself, you can email me at jenny at bernsteininstitute.com or call, here's the phone number, 707-781-3335. And thank you so much for listening and join us again next time.